0: Today we're looking at Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. Uh, The Gospel of Luke gives us three stories that take place after the resurrection of Jesus. One was read earlier in the morning at the tomb. This is one that takes place later in the day on the first Easter. And then the last story, uh, which we won't look at really too much today, takes place that evening of the first Easter. But we're going to look at the middle one where Jesus meets two disciples on the road. Let me read the the story, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Verse 34 contains the central defining confession of Christianity. Verse 34 is the confession that makes Christianity unique. Do you see what it says? It is true, the Lord is risen. That's, that's why we're here having Easter services. That's what we celebrate is the resurrection of Jesus. You know, it would have been much easier if, uh, if the central confession of Christianity was something a, a little easier to grab onto. Like, like if the central confession of Christianity was, be nice, like, yeah, okay, we can all do that, Or, you know. I mean, most of us then would be like, well, if that's what it is to be a Christian, I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm fine, I'm a Christian too, whatever, I'm nice. Or, or if the central confession of Christianity was like, coexist, you know, we, we could do that. Even Christmas is a little bit easier to swallow than Easter. You know, Christmas is, is the birth of Jesus. And, and even if you're, you're not sure about the whole doctrine of the incarnation, that God became a man, it, at least we can all relate to the birth of babies, and even the birth of a special baby or someone important. You know, there's, some, there's a common human experience there so that even somebody who's a skeptic can come to a Christmas Eve service and sing Silent Night and, you know, feel something sweet because there's something sweet about a baby being born. But, like, what do we have to grab onto with Easter? Guy comes back to life. Like, this is outside of common human experience. And so Easter is... It's, it's bigger and it's more challenging. And this is the central confession of Christianity that makes it distinct, that Jesus was physically, bodily, literally raised from the dead. Maybe you're here this morning and um, you wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian. Maybe you have doubts. Maybe there's skeptical thoughts in your mind. Maybe, maybe you're open but curious, but you don't know. Perhaps you'd call yourself an agnostic, maybe even an atheist. And and so for you, you're like, well, you know, what do you do with this He has risen thing? I mean, you're a common sense, rational, perhaps scientifically trained, modern person. You do not believe in Bigfoot. You do not believe in the Loch Ness Monster. When you go see Batman versus Superman, you know that what you're seeing is fake. And then you walk into a modern church service with a bunch of modern people who are all shouting, he is risen. are <laughs> like, what do you do with that? How do you know if that's true or not? How would one know? Um, and, and I think it's significant to find out because like, if, if he is risen or not, it's, it's kind of a big deal. I mean, if Jesus really isn't literally risen, well then, oh, okay, let the Christians have their little belief, and it's not hurting anyone, and, you know, if it makes them better people and better citizens, whatever. But if he is risen, like, we need to pay attention. If there's one man who rose from the dead in all of human history, then, like, that should go to the top of your priority of who I ought to pay attention to list and see what it is he taught, because this is utterly unique and Amazing. And so how would we know? Is this true? Even for those of us who are Christians who would who would say that we do believe that Jesus was risen, that, that as we sing all these songs about the resurrection, you know, we're we're singing them from our hearts and our hearts are stirred with faith. Even for us, you know, we we this is a challenge for us because we want to go out from this place and tell other people about the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, maybe uh, you are, are going to an Easter gathering this afternoon, out after this, you're going to go and, you know, meet some family and friends, and everyone gets together on Easter. Easter's kind of become like Thanksgiving plus chocolate, you know, like everybody gets together and they eat, right? So, so you're, you're, you may be going to some place where you're going to meet with people, and in your heart you're saying, he's risen, and all they're really saying is, happy Easter, right? They're, they're not so... And you want them to know that Jesus is risen. But they're looking at you being like, how do you know? How would you believe that? Why do you believe that? And so I think even for those of us who believe, this is a question because we're part of the modern world. And and how does this work? Well, if any of these kinds of questions have ever plagued you, I want you to know that you're in good company. Because these were questions that the original disciples had on Easter Sunday, the very first Easter. When you read the Easter Sunday story, you don't see a bunch of heroes of the faith. You see a bunch of confused, befuddled guys and women, all kind of confused about what is happening. And so I want to look at one of those confused disciple stories, one of those doubting, skeptical stories. It's this one on the road to Emmaus. So look back at the story again, Luke 24, page 1047. I'm just going to walk you through this, this story, kind of uh, paragraph by paragraph, and we'll just go through it quickly. But I think it's helpful. It's an instructive story to us, and it has a, an abiding relevance. So verse 13 starts out, that same day, so this is that same Easter Sunday, the very first day Jesus tomb was empty. The two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. So they're walking on the seven-mile journey and the processing. That's what we call it today, the processing. They're like trying to figure this out. Because let's face it, this has been the craziest week ever. <laughs> All right? Probably in their lives, this is the craziest week that has ever happened in their little peasant experience, right? I mean, just a week ago, Jesus came riding into Jerusalem and people were shouting, here's the king. And they were laying down palm branches in front of him. He went into the temple, the temple of God, and he started kicking over tables and clearing out all the money changers. It was crazy. And then later that week, he's arrested. He's arrested. And then he's put on trial. And then he's crucified. And so all of this buildup comes to a big crash. And now they're saying, but today something else has happened. Some of our, uh, the ladies who are a part of his discipleship, you know, some of his group, they're coming saying that the tomb was empty. And they saw an angel. And the angel said, he's alive. And what does that mean? And where's the body? Like I said, craziest week ever. And these guys are, are just trying to get their heads around what has happened. And it's at that moment, verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. That's interesting. We'll look at that a little bit later. But Jesus comes up, walks alongside him. They don't realize it's Jesus. And I love what Jesus says, verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast, one of them named Cleopas asked him, uh, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem, and you don't know about the things that have happened here in the last days? Like, dude, where have you been? Were you on Mars? You've been living behind a rock for three days? Like, like, where, wh- where are you from? What do you mean, what, what are we talking about? We're talking about what everybody's talking about, the crazy things that have happened. Verse 19, what things? Jesus asked. And then they give this summary of what's happened. So, so here it is, verse 19. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied... He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels, who said he's alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. They just kind of like blah 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 blah. blah. Here's the summary of what what everyone's talking about, stranger. Let me make three observations about their spiel here in verses 19 to 24. Observation number one. It's interesting that this is a wonderful, concise summary of the events of Easter. You know, if you're one of those, like, just give me the bullet points kind of people, this is great (laughs) because this is the bullet points of the gospel story, you know, t- tell me what happened with Jesus. Well, he was a man powerful in word and deed. Jesus taught in ways that still have changed nations, that still have an effect even into the modern era. Jesus did powerful things. That Something miraculous was happening with him. Interestingly, even Jesus' opponents, and we look at the historical record, uh, if you look at some of the rabbinic writings, they actually accused Jesus of being a sorcerer. So, so even his opponents kind of acknowledged that something weird was happening with Jesus, that something powerful was taking place with him. But not only that, we know that he was crucified, and that he was rejected, and that he he was in the tomb. But then three days later, something happened. The, the women went to the tomb, and he wasn't there, and they said they saw angels. Which, by the way, I think it's really interesting that the first witnesses that we have recorded to the resurrection are are women, and, and that's significant because in those days, in that, in that ancient Jewish culture, women weren't recognized as credible witnesses in court, So, which is, you know, bad, but that's how it was. So, so it's interesting, isn't it, that in, in the resurrection accounts, it's the women who are the first witnesses, which to me gives it a, just a, a ring of authenticity, because if you're trying to write a propaganda piece about the resurrection, you wouldn't start with the first witnesses were women. You'd start with, you know, somebody important was the first witness. And so it just sort of has a kind of telling of, of events, a, a sort of reporting feel to it. But anyway, that's, that's what happened. So you have, number one observation, a wonderful summary of the events. And then here's the second observation. These guys still have no clue what really happened. <laughs> so they've got the whole story Right. They go through the order of events, and everything is like, yep, 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 yep. Good job, guys. What does it mean? We don't know. We're totally confused. They're lost. They have all the puzzle pieces in front of them, but they can't see the whole. They can't interpret it. They have the data and the facts, but they don't have the interpretation of the facts. Something isn't making sense. It's kind of like, I don't know if any of you kids here, little kids here, you guys ever play this game Hot and Cold? We used to play this game where, where someone takes something. If you're not, you should have played it this afternoon. It's great. You take something, you hide it in a room somewhere. And then your friend comes in, and they have to find what you hid. And they walk around the room, and if they get close to it, you say hot. And if they get far away from it, you say cold. It's like they're walking away from it, and you're like, colder, colder. You're freezing. It's way cold. And then they turn around, and you're like, warmer, warmer, warm. hotter, hotter. And then they're finally standing, you know, by the by the, the bookshelf where you hid the thing and then you're like screaming at them, right? You're burning up, you're on fire. And they're like, ah, I gotta find it. <laughs> That's what you want to yell at these guys. You're burning up. <laughs> you got everything in front of you. All the facts are there and the guy talking to you is Jesus. But just, they just can't even see it. They're, 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 their blinders are on, the data is there but the interpretive mechanism is broken, and, and it's misaligned. They don't understand what they're saying. And we can't really blame them. I mean, they, they weren't expecting this, you know? Just like you and I wouldn't be expecting a guy coming back from the dead. In fact, Jewish uh, theology at that time was not expecting a Messiah to rise from the dead. Uh, the Jewish people, as many of them in their theology, we know from, you know, reading the rabbinic writings and other Jewish writings from that period, we know that they did believe in the resurrection. But what did the Jews believe about the resurrection? They believed it was going to happen at the end of time on the judgment day and that everybody was going to get raised to go face God on the judgment day. That's, that was the box where they put the category resurrection at the very end. There was no Jewish category for one guy being raised or the Messiah dying and rising again. So, so And I think that's important, just, just kind of like a little side note here. That's an important thing to wrestle with as, as we think about the historical reliability of these resurrection accounts. Because somehow you, you have to explain this fact, that from the earliest days you had monotheistic Jews who, who had no category for a resurrection like that, suddenly proclaiming by the thousands, like instantaneously thousands of them, suddenly saying, oh, the Messiah is risen. Like, that's not, you know, doctrine or theology. That's just facts. Those are historical things we know. So you have to ask, like, how did that happen? How did thousands of monotheistic Jews who didn't have a theology of a resurrected Messiah suddenly run around proclaiming he's risen and actually be willing to suffer and die for that proclamation? Somehow you have to, like, you know, interpret history. And so it's things like that 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 are, I think, interesting and challenging. But the point is, they couldn't. So, you know, don't get too down on these guys. Uh, They didn't have the right framework. And sometimes that's why we can't see what's right in front of us is because of our framework. You know, there's data, and we all have lenses that we look at data with. Lenses from our upbringing, lenses from our culture, lenses from our past, and, and we bring these lenses from our education. We bring these lenses to bear, and, and you know, we think we're, we're all these objective observers, and like none of us are. We're all seeing reality through lenses. And, and so these guys didn't have the lenses, to, they had all the data in front of them, including the risen guy, and they can't see it because their, their interpretive grids are broken. So, observation number one. It's all there. Observation number two, they can't see it. And then just the last observation that I think is interesting is that they're sad. They're disappointed. The, 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 the fact that this doesn't make sense is actually making them despondent. You know, if you look back at verse 17, it says, They stood with their faces downcast. And why are they sad? Well, because, well, they tell us, verse 21. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They were hoping Jesus was the guy who is the Messiah, the Savior, who's going to redeem Israel, who's going to bring the kingdom of God. And and they're like, this is it. I mean, who else? If it's not him, who is it? Who else is doing miracles? This has got to be the guy. And he comes into Jerusalem riding in like a king. They're like, this is it. This is it. This is it. And then they nail him to a cross. And, and it's just the hugest letdown. You know, the craziest week ever and probably for them the biggest letdown ever religiously and they're disappointed. Have you ever been disappointed with God or or disappointed by God or disappointed by, by Christians or by the church? You know, I think some of us some of us have, you know, a hard time with with Christianity or with the Bible, and, and we say, well, it's because, you know, you know, I need more proof and evidence, and maybe that's part of it, but sometimes if we're really honest, it's because we've experienced deep disappointments. You know, you, you meet people who say that they're followers of Jesus, and they represent God, and then, and then they disappoint you in huge ways, and it, and it makes it hard to believe. I remember over 20 years ago now, I was a young seminary student up on the North Shore, and I was uh, doing a chaplaincy summer thing at uh, Beverly Hospital. And I was in the CCU, the cardiac uh, care unit, the cardiac intensive care unit. And I, I went into the to a room, and I would just walk into rooms. So I'm like, hi, I'm a chaplain here. Do you want to talk? You know, that kind of thing, trying to figure out a bedside manner. Um, and, and, the, and there was this guy there, and he was really nice. And we got talking, and I started, you know, just sharing with him about, you know, where, where I was from and what I was doing. He's asking me questions like, now, why, you know, are you a priest? Or are you what? And so I had to explain that whole thing. And then I asked him, well, you know, what about you? And, and he says, oh, I, I don't believe anything. And I was like, oh, really, you know? And, and he said, oh, I, I just can't. I'm really happy that you believe because I couldn't believe. And I'm like, why not? And he explained to me that he was a Vietnam vet. And he said, you know, I've just seen some things in my life and gone through things that I can't square that with belief that there's really a God. You know, I've been through hell and I can't see how God could be real and these things happen. And, and he said, you know, I'm really happy you believe. And he goes, I'm so happy for you. He goes, I just, I, I can't ever go there. You know, what, what do you say? I, I don't have a, a two-line fortune cookie kind of answer for that a heart like that that's been so scarred and disappointed and traumatized, it would take a miracle for him to believe. And so, back to our question, how do we know? How could one know if Jesus is raised? I mean, it's a huge claim, but but really, how, how, how could one assess that? It's interesting what Jesus does. So now Jesus has a chance to speak in verse 25 and he he addresses them. And this is what I find so fascinating about this part of the story is Jesus doesn't do what you would think he does. This is, there's a surprise here. I would think at this part of the story, Jesus would go, guess what? Surprise. You know, like boo, it's me. Ha ha ha. That's what I would do. Um, But instead, Jesus does something that is just so intriguing. Instead, he leads them on a Bible study of all things. Look at this, verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. In addition to your disappointment, in addition to your, you know, your frameworks and all these things, he's like, you guys got a problem. You've got slow hearts. So, so it's not just a data problem. It's not just an information problem. The problem is y- your hearts are slow. In other, and by that, it means that they don't believe, that they're not able to believe these things. There's something wrong with your heart. It's as if there's a new app, and the app is Jesus rose from the dead. But, but their operating system is like way out of date. It's super slow and weak, and they can't run the app. And so all the data is there. Jesus rose, but, but the operating system in their heart is slow, and they're never going to be able to process this. And so Jesus is like, you guys, your, your operating system, it's slow. Your hearts are slow. That's why you can't believe. That, that's why you can't take in and process this new app, which is the resurrection. And so what does Jesus do to help their heart problem? How, how does Jesus help them to believe? He does a Bible study with them. It's crazy. Look, look, look. Verse 26. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus starts walking them through the Hebrew Bible. He, and he just starts taking them through. I mean, they've got a seven-mile walk. It's a long walk. And he just starts walking them through this passage, that passage, and showing them from the Hebrew Scriptures how all of it was ultimately not just predicting the coming of the Messiah, but that the Messiah would die for our sins and that he would rise again. And he starts laying all that out. Don't you wish you could have been at that Bible study? What did he say? You know, of all the Bible studies to miss, you know, hey, what happened to Bible study last night? I missed it. I was sleeping. Dude, Jesus came to our Bible study and explained the Old Testament. What? Oh, did someone record it? No. You know, it's like, oh. Actually, though, we can make an educated guess about some of the things Jesus may have taught. Um, and here's how we can make an educated guess. Remember, Luke wrote another book after the Gospel of Luke. What did he write? The book of Acts. So Luke takes us up to, the Gospel of Luke takes us up to the resurrection. The book of Acts starts at the resurrection and then takes us into the first few decades of the early church. What's interesting in the book of Acts is it's full of sermons. And in these sermons, the the disciples of Jesus explain the death and resurrection of Jesus from the Old Testament. And so it's likely that that a lot of what we find in the book of Acts is actually Jesus' teaching to the apostles about how he comes from the Old Testament. So, I, actually, I put a little insert in your bulletin. Uh, little, this is my Easter egg, my version of an Easter egg for you to find. Um, I know that kids just got really excited for like one second. There's an Easter egg in the bulletin? Like, it's a, an adult Easter egg. It's words. But anyway, this is, uh, these are texts from the book of Acts where the book of Acts quotes the Old Testament as proofs and pointers to Jesus' death and resurrection. So you know something for you to you adults there for you to look at later on today. But here's the point that it's the scriptures that explain the data and help help it to make sense. In fact, that's also what happens in the first story in Luke 24 and the third story in Luke 24. Go back to the first story in Luke 24. Where, where the angel appears to the women. Look at verse 6. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. So they have the data of the empty tomb in front of them, but they can't make sense of it until they're reminded of the word of God. Same thing in the third story. So the third story starts in verse 36. And in that story, Jesus comes to Jerusalem and appears to all the disciples. And look at verse 44. That evening, what does he say? Verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything that must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Um, If any of you are from a Jewish background here, that's the Tanakh the Torah, the Nebiim, and the Kuttavim, the prophets, Moses, and the writings. Said, in other words, the whole Hebrew scriptures, there they are, and they all were about me. And then I love verse 45. Then he, what, opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He upgraded their operating system so that they could get what the Bible says. So through the Bible and through Jesus' power, they're able to understand. And he told them, verse 46, this is what is written. And here's a summary, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead in the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. The whole Old Testament is pointing us toward Jesus, and not just that Jesus would come, but that he would die for our sins, that through his death on the cross, Jesus came to pay the penalty for our sins. Our sin is what keeps us from God. You know, not only do we have an information problem sometimes, and not only do we have a framework problem and a disappointment problem, we've got a real problem, which is sin. And and we're, we're guilty sinners before God. We need forgiveness. No one here is good enough or religious enough or spiritual enough for God. Certainly not me. And and we need forgiveness. Jesus died to forgive our sins. And then he rose with power to change our hearts. So through the cross, we have our sins forgiven. Through the resurrection, there's power from God to change slow hearts, to change closed minds. There's power from God to do a miracle, even in the most traumatized soul and skeptical soul. There's power, resurrection power to change us. So, so then what happens is the risen Jesus reveals who he is and what his death and resurrection means through the Scriptures. Isn't that fascinating? So, And, and look how it all shakes out. Go back to our story now. Look at verse 32. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? The guys with slow hearts now have burning hearts. The, the guys that had no faith now have a hot faith. The guys that couldn't believe it now believe it. And what's amazing is they say, when he opened the scriptures, our hearts burned. So so let's put it all together now. Let's take all these strands in in case we got lost. Let me just put it all together and try to do it simply. How do we know if Jesus is really risen from the dead? The way that Jesus reveals himself then and today is that as we open the scriptures, the risen Jesus upgrades our hearts to put faith within us. That's how it happens. Same thing as it happened then. He did that the same way in the beginning. As we open the scriptures, as we read it, Jesus, who's alive through the the fiber optic cable of the Bible, sends his power into our hearts, and that's where we get faith. Faith comes from a supernatural source through the mediation of God's word to our hearts. That's the process. You say, well, why didn't Jesus just, why didn't he just show up like he did to them today and be like, it's me, you know? I mean, he could, but he doesn't. Why, why doesn't he just appear in the sky so we can all see him? Well, he's going to, but, you know, don't wait for that. <laughs> no, this is how it happens. So, if you're a Christian here today, and you are going to an Easter celebration this afternoon where you're going to eat well and eat ham and all that stuff or whatever you do, and, uh, and, and there's people there who, for you, it's he has risen, but for them, it's just happy Easter and that's it. Like, and you're like, how, do, how, how can they come to see Jesus the way I see Jesus? And the answer is, they need what you need, which is the word of God. That's how Jesus sends faith into our hearts and upgrades our operating system. So, so bring God's word to them. I mean, maybe it's just as simple as this hey, hey, happy Easter, and you say back, yeah, he is risen. Like, that's Scripture. It's just, I mean, it's little, it's a start, it's a pebble, but God's word is powerful. Or, or maybe it's an email, you know, where they're like, oh, man, I had a really bad week, and my kid is going crazy, and this happened, and my job, and you just say, all right, hey, I'm going to say a prayer for you, and, you know, there's. can I just, here's a Bible verse that might encourage you. Just send it. God's word does amazing things in our hearts. Or maybe they'd even be willing to read the Bible with you. And maybe perhaps there's an opportunity where you could be like, you think you'd ever want to read the Bible with me? And you, you, never, you never know what people will say. They might be like, uh, I'm all set. You know, that's our New England thing, right? I'm all set. <laughs> that's like our New England armor against everything. I'm all set. <laughs> you <know? laughs> Dude, you're not all set, okay? I'm just telling you, when it comes to God, you're not all set. You, you need to know. And that's how we know is, is from the Bible. Isn't it amazing how some of us were raised in churches and went to church our whole lives and we never read the Bible? That's kind of whacked, isn't it? Like, we need to read the Bible. This is, this is the writings. And so offer to read the Bible with people. You'd be surprised. People might be like, you know, I've never actually read it. And i am been intimidated because, you know, look, it's like big. Like, I, I, can't, I don't know where to start. And then say, well, let me read it with you. Isn't that how people come to faith? That's how I came to faith. I wasn't born a pastor. <laughs> I, I didn't come out naked with like a white collar, you know? <laughs> I, you know, I, my family, I don't, I don't come from a long line of pastors. I, I'm not carrying on the family business or anything like that. You know, the, the way I became, a, first I became a Christian before I became a pastor, and I was like 10 or 11 years old, like some of you kids who are here, and I went to a church where my mom started dragging us to church because she would come from a kind of a church background and she wanted to get us back into it. And so she started dragging us to a church. And, and in this church, you know, they went to Sunday school. And in Sunday school, they actually taught us the Bible. And I sat down in the pew and the pastor was up there and the pastor did what I'm doing right now. He just taught through Bible passages. And it wasn't dramatic. There were no fireworks. It wasn't a high-pressure, emotional, cultish Jedi mind trick, brainwashing thing. It wasn't anything like It was just like this, like, you know, kind of boring, okay? <laughs> just a guy explaining the Bible. And I was just, you know, dutiful little 10 or 11, you know. I was the first child, so I was like the, you know, the follow the rules child. And I was just listening, you know, because they're supposed to. And, and as I listened to all these stories, something happened. I had faith. And I can't tell you where it came from except that it came from God through his word. And, and, I, and I came to believe, and it was the most amazing thing. You know, if, if you were to ask me today, why do you believe in Jesus? I could give you all the arguments. You know, I could point you to the archaeology that supports the historical reliability of the Bible, and I could give you all the, this is why the resurrection should be taken as, as a credible historical event, that it's not just fantasy. I mean, I can give you all that stuff, but but I tend not to go there because that's not how I became a Christian. I became a Christian just reading this book, and through this book, I met Jesus. You're like, "What do you mean you met him?" I'm like, I, I, I can't explain it. You just need to read it, <laughs> and I met him. And it's I became a Christian because of Jesus, not because of arguments. And he changed my heart. And there was a all I can say is my heart used to just be dead. Now there's fire of faith. God put it there. I can't explain it. It's supernatural. And he does that today. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian or you're not sure if you are, or you have doubts or skepticisms, or maybe you're a card-carrying atheist, whatever, you know, we're we're glad you're here. We're honored that you would come and worship Jesus or be with us as we worship Jesus. But I guess I would just challenge you, and I would say, you know, have you ever really read the Bible? Uh, Have you ever sat down and looked at it Um, Or is what you know from the Bible like, you know, what you saw in the movie Noah with, you know, Russell Crowe or, you know, one of those, the Bible TV shows. Like, that's not the same thing as the Bible, okay? You need to actually read the Bible and just, you know, read it. And you say, well, where do I start? And I I would encourage you to read one of the Gospels, like Luke or like Mark, because really the whole Old Testament points to Jesus, and the whole New Testament flows out of the story of Jesus, so if you can get Jesus... You get the core of it, and then you can work backwards or you can work forwards, and, and you can start making sense of the whole thing. It's a weird book where you kind of start two-thirds of the way through. But that's how you make sense of the Bible is with Jesus. Then you can work backwards and forwards. Or, or even better, if, if there's someone who brought you here, or there's some Christian um, who, who Jedi mind-tricked you to get you here this morning, um, just, just say to that person, like, okay, I'll, I'll read the Bible with you. And just read it and talk about it and, and see what happens. And see if God doesn't do something in your heart. And you say, well, that's kind of a circular argument, right? Like, you know, you should believe in the resurrection because the Bible says it. But, you know, how do we know if the Bible's true? Well, it's because Jesus, it's about Jesus and he's risen. You're like, but wait a minute, how do you know he's risen? Well, because the Bible, you know, so it's like, isn't this just kind of a big circular argument? No. What I'm saying is that if Jesus is alive, he's outside of the circle and that he Can break in and speak in that that, that there's a a factor outside of the loop of doubt and skepticism that we live in here who breaks in from the outside and changes us and and puts new things inside of us that we can't do ourselves so I'd encourage you to read and to think and to be open at the very worst it's not true and you've just become a slightly more educated person which is good But what if? What if the same risen Jesus through his Holy Spirit is with us right now? What if Jesus has actually been walking next to you the last week or month or year or couple years and he's been Trying to get a hold of you, and, and you don't know what it's been. So there's just been something going on. You can't figure it out. What if it's him? But you just don't see him yet. What if? Can I lead us in a prayer? Jesus, I worship you because you are the risen Savior and I thank you that you, through the power of your resurrection, are able to resurrect dead hearts like ours. You're able to put faith in hearts that have been burned over with doubt and skepticism and disappointment and pain. Oh, Lord, in those dead fields that could never sprout again, a new seed of faith blooms, Lord. We pray that you would put faith in our hearts. God, I pray if there's anyone here today who has questions, doubts, I pray that you would just show them who you are, that it wouldn't be any sermon or any preacher's words or arguments, but it would be your power that they might know you, the risen Christ. And I pray for all of us uh, who are going to Easter celebrations today, Lord, that we would be like the women who came from the tomb, who had some crazy news. He's risen that you'd make us bold to bear witness. And Lord, may your word, may your word find its mark in our hearts and do its work, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.